Hi, I'm Jennifer Gassich. And my name is Mateusz Benko. This is the Let's Talk Ecosystems podcast. From activists to entrepreneurs, leaders to practitioners, we will learn how young people are making a positive change for our planet. In this series, we talk with changemakers who are taking action to restore and protect nature as we move forward in the United Nations decade for ecosystem restoration. How you doing, Mateusz? Quite, quite good, honestly. And you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Not bad. I have another little fun fact for you today. Oh, what a I surprise. Was, <laughs> I was wondering if you could tell me how many young people are involved in climate change worldwide? Let me give you a little clue. Is it 100,000, 200,000, or half a million? I hope it is half a million. You're always right, Mateusz. It's about half a million around the world. Half a million young people around the world are taking climate action. And they're taking climate action through small grants program projects in their homes, schools, and communities. Well, today we are so excited to have a guest with us who is going to explain the importance of getting youth involved in climate action. So really, really, really excited to have Vanya Olmos-Lau with us today. She has a knack for conceptualizing and setting up youth-based groups from the highly successful restoration stewards to the network of young environmentalists in Mexico. She's been involved with establishing the Latin American branches for Youth for Nature, and the major group for children and youth. Vanya, your work is incredible, and we are so excited to have you here with us today. Right, Matej? Definitely. Hi, Vanya. Hello. Uh, let me start with a very simple question. What is the recipe to set up a successful youth group? Well, Mateus, I think it's mainly two things. One is being able to keep the focus and to keep up the energy, as, as simple as that. Everything else comes with, youth already know the things that have to be addressed um, regarding environmental protection, because we grew up seeing the degradation of environment. So we have that in our hearts. The thing is also when you're young, you tend to be everywhere. So keeping the focus is super important and the energy is there. You just have to keep people motivated. Another key aspect of setting up youth groups is that you need to know why you exist. Uh, it's super important to do a, a bit of background research. You know, if you want to set up um, a youth group that is wanting to protect water in your region, the first thing you should do is check that there's not already a youth group that is doing this. And maybe you can just join them and you know, bring in your ideas and your energy. This is also super important because if you don't do your background research and if you're not sure why you exist, why there's a need for your group to exist, then you might step over others' work. So super important for this. What is the age limit for being a member of a young youth group? This is, this is an amazing question um, because there's, let's say, many cuts. So the first one is 25. So there's a lot of youth calls, like calls for youth that are for people that are younger than 25. The next cut is 30. So if you're below 30, you count as a young person at youth. And the last one is 35, which for some people, it sounds like it's quite um, old, let's say, but then you, you fall into a young professional. 
And it's really funny that the first cut, which is at 25 years old, because I actually started getting involved with uh, youth work when I turned 25, because that's when I started my master's. And that's when I got exposed to all the youth work that was happening around the world. Well, Banya, actually, so if you started um, when you were 25 and you're doing your master's, does this mean you were doing a master's in biology? I, I saw something about your, your background in biology. Can you tell us a little bit about your academic background and how this led you to where you are today? Well, yeah. Um, well, first, I'm from Mexico and I'm a biologist. I've always loved nature. So I was very lucky to grow up in a country that is one of the most biodiverse in the world. And I was also very lucky that my mom loved to travel by car. So in one trip, we would go by the forest, then we would turn into the desert, then we would reach the jungle, and finally we would be in the sea in less than five hours. So being exposed to, to nature so much really just made me fall in love with it. Also, I was in love with, with nature documentaries, big cats and reptiles I absolutely adored. So that's, I guess that's why I decided to be a biologist. And I was lucky also to go to a public university here in Mexico, um, and it is one of the best in Latin America, <laughs> um, which is UNAM. And I just want to emphasize that it's a public university because I had to pay, let's say, what would be like 25 cents a semester to study there. So this allowed for people from all walks of life to be able to study, and this exposed all of us who studied there to a lot of social issues, a lot. So whenever there was something happening in Mexico, um, the university that I went to would be the first one to step up and say, this is not just, we need to do something about it. So I guess being university, my activist self got linked with my nature loving self. And you know, whenever there was a mining company that wanted to take over sacred land of indigenous people, there would be a demonstration and we would be there. When the laws wanted to be changed so that foreign investors could get land by the seaside, we would be there doing a demonstration. So this was my activist self. And my youth activism began, like I said, when I turned 25. I went to the Netherlands to do my master's. And while I was there, suddenly I realized there was this huge environmental youth movement global and I wanted to be part of it. So I started applying for calls, mostly from events that happened, like global events. And finally, I, after applying for a lot, I got chosen to go to one, which was uh, the Global Landscapes Forum investment case in Washington, D.C. And there I got exposed to a youth group, which is called the Youth in Landscapes Initiative. And I was absolutely amazed by all the stuff they did. I got to meet other young people that were doing incredible things in their countries. And that's when I realized that all my energy could be put into, into that in particular. I imagine that being part of the youth group, you're surrounded by so many young and energetic people. How do you make sure that you harvest that energy for the good cause? I would say, yeah, you need to find people's passions and you need to take the time to find their strengths. So Leadership is not all about being in control. Like leadership is about seeing the strength in others. So when you're setting up a youth group, it's super important to just take a step back. You know, you usually for youth groups, a lot happens through WhatsApp. So uh, a lot of the branches that I started, let's say, happened because first I was exposed to other youth from around the world in these international events. 
we would stay in touch through WhatsApp. We would have these WhatsApp groups. And then when we needed to mobilize something, it would be on these WhatsApp groups. Hey, I need blah, blah, blah. Hey, I need help with blah, blah, blah. And then usually you would get a lot of messages of people interested. So you would, you know, get these people together. This is the mission. How can we reach it? And because youth groups, it's mostly volunteer work, you have to realize that people are always going to drop out. You know, people get excited and then after they're going to be like, oh, you know what? No, I have to study. No, I have to work. So sorry, I don't, I no longer have time. So just take a step back and then pinpoint the people that are consistent and find their strengths and let them just flourish with those strengths. You know, if they want to do design, oh, great, go ahead, do design, no problem. If you want to set up an event, go, go ahead and make an event. One time when we were planning the Youth Environmental Assembly, I remember one of the other youth that I was working with thought it was amazing that basically I just gathered people that wanted to make this event and let them do it completely. And I was just like, if you need my help, just let me know and I'll help you. And whenever they needed my help, I was there. I connected them with the people that they needed to be connected with. But in the end, they did everything. And this girl was just like, I guess that's the best example of when you're doing something right, when you're no longer needed and things can just flow without you having to be there checking that they happen. Vanya, let's talk about money then. What are the tips for the youth groups? Well, I have two tips. One is big, one is very practical. The big one is you need to find an angel. And usually this can be an NGO. I would suggest an NGO because governments can sometimes be a little limiting. And I'll give you an example. For Youth for Nature, when Youth for Nature began, their angel was the Nature Conservancy. So the Nature Conservancy decided to invest in Youth for Nature. And that was what got Youth for Nature going. And because they already had examples of amazing things that we did to get, like we did as Youth for Nature, then Youth for Nature was able to get bigger and bigger grants. And now it doesn't need the Nature Conservancy anymore, but it needed it at the beginning. In the Youth in Landscapes Initiative, the ANGEL is a global landscapes forum. So the global landscapes forum always gives budget to the Youth in Landscapes Initiative. Um, so yeah, find an ANGEL, find someone that can give you this big lump of money at the beginning that can help you get started. And then you can apply for other grants once you have evidence of the amazing things you can do. And the second one is a very practical tip. Near the end of the year, a lot of organizations and a lot of governments need to spend money if they didn't throughout the year. So if you're looking for money as a young group, around October, November, start tapping doors and start saying, hey, we need money. And you also need to be super uh, clear on what you need money for. You need to have a clear project of what you're going to use it for. That, that usually makes it easier for an organization to say, yes, I'll give you money. So start knocking doors near the end of the year. And if you're lucky, you'll find someone that is in urgent need to spend money. <laughs> what is the youth group that you set up and you are the most proud of? That's a tricky question. Um, because, well, like, like you said at the beginning, I was part of the steering committee for the Youth and Landscapes Initiative. I was the first regional coordinator uh, for Latin America and the Caribbean for Youth for Nature. I was the first regional facilitator for Latin America and the Caribbean for the major group for children and youth. I guess the first one that you could say that I started from a blank slate was the Latin American branch for Youth for Nature. 
be, but I didn't begin Youth for Nature. So this is important to, to say. A girl, actually a Canadian girl from Vancouver, she started Youth for Nature and she realized that she needed regional um, representation. So she did an open call. I applied and I got selected. And after that, basically, she was just like, this is the ideas that I have for Youth for Nature. You can do whatever you want within your region. So it was a blank slate. And then WhatsApp again <laughs> and Facebook and Instagram, finding people all over because I'm well connected in Mexico, I could say, because I just love the environmental movement. So I stick to anyone that has anything to do with environmental protection. But in the rest of the region, I needed to get connected. So, you know, a lot of ping, 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 ping. And I began, I was the regional coordinator for a year. I connected a lot of people. I brought together people from many different countries, even small countries that are usually not represented in Latin America. For example, I remember we did um, an event with a guy from Panama, which was an indigenous guy that protected this tiny little island in Panama that was, let's say, the last land of his indigenous peoples. So I was pretty proud of that. And then I tried to repeat the same recipe for the major group of children and youth. But I say it's a tricky question because let's say that was an assignment that was given to me. But the one that I truly, let's say, I started was the Network of Young Environmentalists of Mexico. In Spanish, is La, Re La Red de Jóvenes Ambientalistas. And I started this because when I came back to Mexico after my master's, I realized that there was a lot of small groups uh, in Mexico that were dealing with different environmental problems. But taking the example from this global movement, I'm like, there needs to be something that needs to connect them all. Um, so that they can help each other, but also that they can share opportunities. So one day in my apartment, I called up all the small environmental organizations that I knew. And I told them, I need you to just get one person from your organization um, this night because I want to talk to you about an idea. And also it's important to give youth groups time because, for example, I remember I called one of the groups. I'm like, hey, I need someone to come. And they're like, give us one week so that we can find who will represent us the best. You know, I was like, okay, the week is fine. You know, I wanted to do things fast because I get excited and I want them done quickly. But you also need to give every organization the time they need for their governance and for the way they do things. Anyway, so they came to the apartment. I told them the idea like, hey, we could build a network. And that was the beginning of it. And it exists to this day. And again, I'm happy to say that I am no longer a part of it because I turned 30 this year. So I decided that it was my time to sort of step back from the youth movement and let people that are as energetic as I was when I was 25 to keep it going. So I'm no longer part of it and it still exists and it's still doing a lot of things. So again, I'm proud that that's how it happened. It got set up and now it's still alive and going with new energy. Well, we've mentioned so many key things there like uh, leadership, taking initiative, but also delegating and letting other people find their niche. I think that's all incredible. Putting all these people together, building a network. So those are uh, not easy things to do. So you've accomplished a lot. I imagine it hasn't been that easy. Could you tell us about some of the roadblocks that you've hit along the way or what have been some of the obstacles? One of the main obstacles is people dropping out. Um, like I said, this is always going to happen. And, and balancing life also. And that, not, that goes not only for me, but in general for, for youth. Because like I said, 
most youth movements are volunteering. So people are studying and besides studying, they decide to go into a youth group. And sometimes it takes a lot of time and energy and also a lot of emotions because you're dealing with environmental issues that you know are compromising your future. So at some point, you know, when you don't see things going the way you expect them to be, it's very disheartening. So, you know, people have come to me and say like, you know what, I thought I wanted to do this, but I emotionally, I can't. So, you know, you try to show them the small steps that have been achieved, but you also can't force people. So that's that's a big one. Um, like balancing this balancing life and this emotional balance because of the issues that we deal with. Uh, so, yeah, you just have to acknowledge that people are going to drop out and acknowledge that there's people that are going to stay no matter what. And, you know, the people that are going to be there for three months, you just let them be their best for three months. And if they want to leave after, it's okay. Um, big rotation, but the rotation is also nice because it always brings new ideas. You just need at least one person that is consistently there. Or you need to build a structure that gives the group consistency. Well, I think that's basically you're saying everybody has a role to play. Maybe some will have shorter roles, but we all have a role to play no matter what. So I think that's that's really important and we can all take steps to making change. I wanted to know more about your actions in the Agro Olympics. So as you've said, you've been involved in so much, but this seems to be something really interesting. And what was the fun factor here in setting up or putting together the Agro Olympics? Yeah. The Agro Olympics was so much fun and it's still going to be so much fun because the plan is to do one each year. Um, to answer that question, first, I want to say that a key aspect of youth groups is that a lot of them are based on friendship. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're just building a group with your friends, but it means that when you go into a group, people are really willing to be friends. So it's not like when you go into a, I don't know, corporate structure where people are just working because they know they have to reach a goal. No, no, no. People are like, hey, we're here because we have something, an interest in common, but we also want to be friends. So this is, I think, one of the strengths of youth groups. And for the Agro-Olympics, well, it was exactly like this, you know, you, you talk about the serious topics, but then you go on to, you know, have a beer and have fun. And then you start having these crazy ideas. And then you talk about like, hey, we should do a contest where people can do agroecology activities and compete, but at the same time, they're learning. And it's like, yeah, let's call it the Agro-Olympics. And then, so after you get these crazy ideas, again, the important thing is that you bring it down into action. So you always also need to have these people, no? That go like, yeah, that's cool. Okay, we're going to have a meeting next week where we're actually going to start doing this. And then it gets rolling. So fun factor, super important for youth. Also, I remember there's this other youth group in Mexico City. It's called Contaminantes Anonymous. And they started actually because they were like, hey, in parties, there's so much garbage. We need to do something about garbage in parties. Let's have a party that has no garbage. So they began planning this waste, zero waste party. And I always say that plastic is like the gateway drug into environmental issues because people see plastic. So it's really easy to try to avoid it. But when people are turned on by this plastics issue, they start digging deeper and then they become like hardcore environmentalists after I've seen this happen so many times. It starts with a plastic bottle and then they're trying to stop a mine, you know? I really like that comparison of plastic. Uh, on the other note, surprisingly, Jennifer, I have a question to you. Have you been a member of any youth group? 
I, I am going to say I was uh, for a short time uh, a member of a youth group in my organization, but I would say I was curious um, to see what the youth were doing because I'm young at heart, but I, I was not at youth at that time. I didn't make your cut, Vanya, with the age. But uh, what about you, Mateusz? It's interesting that you asked me that. Are you a youth activist? No, unfortunately not. But I have to admit what Vanya says sounds quite fun. And it's fun for the good cause. Uh, definitely something to, to look forward to. Vanya, what are the current projects that you work on then? Well, I'm still working on delegating all the youth things I built in the past five years. Um, no, it's been more than five years. I always, I always don't consider the two years of the pandemic. But anyways, to completely delegate everything I built because I was able to do it for some organizations really well. And for others, I've just kind of, you know, put them in the closet. But I, I do want to delegate all my contacts, you know, all the organizations that I know that can do things together. So that's my current project regarding youth work. And now that I've gone into, let's say, a more adult life, and I'm working at GIZ, which is a German cooperation agency. And right now I'm working in a project that has to do with sustainable agriculture. And because I know there's huge potential in youth, especially for agriculture, um, because youth want to migrate and you don't necessarily want people to leave their land that where they grew up and where they feel connected just because they don't have opportunities. I am incorporating young people into my project. Uh, it's not part of our indicators. It's not explicitly said in our components, but because I know it's vital now, I'm going to use all this young people energy that I got for seven years being part of the international and regional youth movement and putting it into a project that has money and that has contacts and that can actually, you know, set it up officially in the country. Yeah. So, Vanya, do you think that organizations with staff, as you said, and, and like in your position now, do you think that they're leveraging the power of youth groups enough. So it's interesting that you said that you're tapping into this huge potential. Do we need to do that more across the board? Definitely. I am mesmerized by how good gender has been incorporated into projects. Like it's in every single project, gender, you know, there's gender quotas. And this is a great step, but I don't see the same for young people. They're mentioned, but you don't necessarily, you can have a gender quota, but you don't necessarily have a youth quota. You might mention them, but it's not like, yeah, we need 50% young people, which um, is just an example. I don't think quotas are the best way to approach things, but it's just an example. But definitely projects really need to tap more into youth. I always say, you know, whenever I give talks about, you know, trying to inspire youth to get uh, active in environmental action, I always say that as young people, we have, three main strengths. One is that we are so connected. Uh, you know, we grew up with social media and I would say that we know how to use it well. Um, we know how to filter things that are a bit useless and things that are useful. So, well, that's one of our strengths. We are really, really well connected. Another strength is that I always say that we have the true freedom of speech because we can say things without being afraid that there will be consequences that might affect people that depend on us. When you start growing older, you might have children or you might have, let's say, a mortgage. So if you don't agree with something that is happening at your work, 
you might not be willing to say something about it because you don't want to get fired. And when you're young, you can just really just speak up your mind. So I say this is one of the strengths of youth that organizations are not really tapping into. Because now that I've worked in a couple of organizations, I know that sometimes there's things that you can't say, not necessarily because it will affect you, but because it might affect others. So you have to think of like farther away, the, the greater good. And, you know, maybe I won't say this because I want to keep working on this, which I know it's important. But if organizations went to youth and told them like, you know, this is the issue, you can actually say something about it. So, you know, just please say something about it because I can't. And I feel organizations don't see this enough, that youth can be that voice of things that, you know, when you're officially working in FAO or GIZ or the UN, you can't say, youth usually can. And the final strength that I see for youth is that usually we spend some time in, in the field. Like, for example, when you're doing a volunteering in a rural area, or when you're actually from a rural area, or when you're doing your thesis, you're spending time, like usually a lot of time in a community. And so you get more connected with the reality of a place, or you have more time to actually be connected with the reality of a place. And usually people that have to make decisions in an office, they have to read about it, or they have to trust someone that is sort of gonna tell them what things are like, but they're not living it. So youth, are living, and I, I'm, I'm saying this because it happened to me, like during my master's, I spent four months in different places living with people. So I, I got to see, you know, their, their needs, but I also got to pair their needs with what was happening in a university and what was happening in the global scenario. So I, I was a really good link between these things. And that's when I realized that people that are working in an office are really not that good of a link because they just simply don't have the time, not because they don't want to, but because they can't spend four months understanding the community where they're going to give funding, you know? So that's the third strength of youth, being closer to the underground activities. Speaking of strengths or maybe weaknesses, have you experienced that uh, more senior people don't take youth groups seriously? I don't know. I guess, again, I was lucky to get into the youth movement when people were talking about youth. So... I would say that youth were being listened to, but when I take it, when I take it down into my day-to-day -day life and I have to speak with my parents or with my grandparents, then it's different. Then you realize, you know, my dad telling me, you, why do you do this? You know, like, you don't understand the world. This is not how things work. So that, that's kind of tough, you know, when you have to face these things in, in your personal life. So yeah, internationally, I think youth, we're advancing. People are listening to youth. But I do know that youth have to deal with personal stories that are tough when it comes to trying to be listened to. And it usually starts that in our families, it's hard for people to, you know, sometimes it's easier to talk about environmental issues to a stranger than to your family dinner. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, do you have any tips for youth that want to be heard? and how they can make it that the more senior people actually are listening to them? I say there's strength in numbers. I used to be very shy about talking about environmental issues with people because, you know, people get defensive. It's like, you know, let me do with my life whatever I want. Uh, don't be so intense, this sort of thing. 
But when I came back from my master's and I joined this group of young people in Mexico City called Contaminantes Anonymous, we all had the same concerns and we all wanted to take the same action. So when I would get with this group and they were all struggling with the same things, you know, people telling them they were super intense and people, you know, telling them, why are you even doing this? Then we all got strength in each other. So we started being more vocal about things. And I also was lucky that this group is really based on love. So, you know, it's not about telling people off just because you're angry, but it's about, you know, through empathy, you know, not judging people, but understanding why they do things and then telling them how they could, you know, be better for the environment and for nature. So that would be my tip for youth. Just try to find other people that think the way you do, find strength in numbers. And again, social media is crazy for this. Uh, you know, if you're in uh, your university and you feel like there's no one else that cares about the environment, you can probably find a Facebook group in your university and you can just put a little post. Hey, I care about environmental issues. Anyone else? Do you want to get together? And this is not a personal story of mine, but I've heard other youth do this. They go on Facebook, they put a little post on their school's group and people reply and then they get together and the ball gets rolling. So strengthen numbers, find people that care about the same things that you do. And yeah, get together. And that's how you will find the strength to go ahead and maybe do something that you wouldn't imagine you did that's really big. That's Those are really good points. So strength in numbers, sharing your thoughts, your concerns, empathy that really binds being people together and, and makes their voices louder together. Now, I think we can all identify with that and hear that. I understand that you also have a background in agroecology. You work with agroecology. Can you tell us a little bit about first, what is agroecology? And also how youth can make a living out of agroecology. Is this a, a possible opportunity for youth to get involved and make a living out of agroecology? So agroecology is three things. For me in Latin America, when I first heard about agroecology, to me, it was a movement, a movement of rural justice. So, you know, um, gathering the traditional knowledge and putting it back into agriculture, fighting against big agro. That's what agroecology was to me when I first got in touch with it in Latin America. When I went to Europe to do my master's, I realized that there was another agroecology, which was more about the study of the relations between the components of an agroecosystem. Um, so how a plant and an insect and the crop work together to have a more sustainable food system. Is there job opportunities in agroecology? This is a very, very hard question to answer because recently I was actually reading a study about maize in Mexico. In maize, we have the milpa system, which sometimes in the permaculture world, they call it the three sisters, where it's where you have a corn plant, well, a maize plant, you have beans and you have pumpkin also. And they're all growing in, this, in the same plot. And, you know, the beans are giving food to the maize and the pumpkin's leaves are covering the ground so that no weeds come out. And it's an ancient system that we have in Mexico for super long. Um, and I was reading this report that the milpa system because the needs of people have increased over the years. So you need more money for education. You need more mo money for medicine. Like just the needs of people have increased that the MILPA system alone can no longer sustain these needs. 
So it's a bit troubling because that means that you want people to keep growing milpa because not only is it traditional, but corn is also the basis of our diet here in Mexico, but they, they are going to need another source of income. And that was a conclusion. So it's a tricky question. Is there money in agroecology? Can people live from it? I would say yes, but it depends how. And I think that's where diversification is super important. You can be growing maize through the milpa system, but that means you're probably also going to have to be having chickens so that you can sell eggs or some kind of animal that you know gives a higher value and that you can always sell the animal if you have an emergency or that you're going to have to grow a crop which is high value for example vanilla pepper so yeah i think the opportunities for young people in agroecology are through diversification and also through entrepreneurship so we we've seen this actually at gis where i work uh, young people have different tools that their parents or their grandparents did. So they know how to use technology. They are usually better educated than their parents. So it's easier for young people to set up a family business that is based on agroecology than it was for their parents. It's easier for them to get connected with the value chain and to sell someone who will actually pay, uh, pay a fair price. It's easier for young people to understand what they need to transform a food product into something that they can sell for a better price. So that's how I see an opportunity for youth in agroecology. Is there also the element of being rewarded or paid for the ecosystem services that you provide by having um, a sustainable agricultural approach to farming? I am super glad you brought this about uh, payments for ecosystem services. I think they're an amazing tool. I know that there's a debate around payment for ecosystem services that people say, hey, um, it's monetizing nature, you know, it's giving nature a price and that's not right because nature has a value in itself. And I agree. But if we begin to see payment for ecosystem services as our reward for stewardship, then it's different. I always make the comparison between youth groups. Like I said, they're all volunteering, but imagine you were actually getting, you know, a little payment to be in a youth group, it would really help a lot of youth, you know, uh, with studying issues, with family issues, it would help them. And it's the same for people that take care of the environment, people who receive money to take care of their forest or who receive money to do better agricultural practices. It's, it's a stewardship thing. You're paying them for a service that they're giving you if you live in the city. So uh, I think it's a great tool. Also connecting it to the example that I said that Milpa will probably not um, sustain a family. But if you mix milpa with payment for ecosystem services, then you have this extra income that will allow, let's say, a family to continue doing the milpa system with traditional corn, but that they also have enough money to live a decent life. Let's go time traveling. How do you imagine the youth group of the future? I imagine the youth group of the future with big energy, with a lot of fire within it. I remember once I saw this graph. Right. So on one side, on one side, it was anger. And on the other side, it was love. And where anger and love met was activism. So this is how I see the youth group of the future. A youth that is so upset because environmental degradation keeps on happening. But at the same time, they have this love for life and they, you know, they want wildlife to be keep thriving and um, they want nature to just know just be left alone and to let nature thrive and this fire and this love come together 
and then youth just fill the streets again. It happened before the pandemic, but the pandemic just really made us lose a lot of fire. So I see this fire coming back and people, again, looking to youth for the answer to the triple planetary crisis that we have now. Thank you very much, Vanya. That was really well described. And uh, it was really a great pleasure to chat with you today. Needless to say that you are a massive inspiration for, for us and probably for our and definitely for our listeners. Thank you for being with us during this episode. Yes, and uh, Mateus, let's also remind our listeners that they can find information about Vanya in our show notes. And a big shout out to our podcast crew for making this happen as well. And listeners, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Vanya, for all that you've shared with us today. We're inspired and we'll stay connected and find that place of activism within. I love that. So stay tuned for next week's episode and don't forget to review us as well as to talk about us on social media using our hashtag Generation Restoration. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the United Nations Environment Programme Europe Office and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations.